0: If we have not met, my name is D Chan and I get to serve and work alongside the young adult staff here at High Street and I want to welcome you guys and would love to get to know more of you guys after service if I haven't met you. Um, If it's your first time joining us, we're currently in a series, a summer series called Being Human, where over the last couple of young adults, we've tackled topics that relate to the human condition that we deal with every day, whether it's purpose or identity or even last time, we heard from Dylan Hughey as he talks about community. And I know next week, or in next two weeks, we get to hear from our very own Ryan Harp as he gives us a sermon about finances. Now, tonight, all of us here, we get to have, I think this conversation is one of the most important conversations that relates to the human condition, that relates to being human. Okay, And that is on the topic of sin you guys are like looking at me like, oh gosh, one of these. But guys, this is an important, important topic. Specifically, how do we respond to sin? How do we respond to sin? Okay? And I don't know about you guys, but I was not born in the Midwest. I was born in Malaysia, like I said. Who here, just as a show of hands, who's born in the Midwest? Kind of consider yourself a Midwesterner? Okay, come on. I love Midwest. I moved from Missouri. I moved from Malaysia to Eureka, Missouri, of all places. Anybody know that place? Six Flags. I love it. You'll hear a little bit more about that in a bit. But like I said, I didn't growing up in Malaysia, Malaysia was a melting pot of religions, a melting pot of cultures. With that being said, I grew up with so many religions in my family. I had people who were Christians, I had people who were Buddhists, I had people who were Hindu. And safe to say, my idea of sin growing up was really short. It, it was bad things, right? I feel like a lot of us hear that going to church. It's like, what's sin? You're like, the Jesus answer? It's something bad. It's like a bad thing, right? And I remember so vividly the fact that when I moved to the United States, I wasn't plugged into church and wasn't looking to grow in my faith. The first time I heard the gospel shared with me was at Missouri State. I had a guy by the name of Hayden Stanser in my fraternity of all places share the gospel with me. He was like, D-Chan, um, what do you think is sin? And what's an example of maybe sin in your life? And I was like, well, I think sin's bad things. I think some of us sin, some of us don't. And I remember at the time, my idea of sin as an example was I stole sodas at Six Flags in middle school. Okay, And I was like, that's pretty bad, but not as bad as some people, right, or wrong. Um, All that to say, living in the Bible belt, we all have had some example of sin. However, within Scripture, we actually see a center definition, a definition of what sin is. We see sin, this word used in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, to convey bad things, convey transgressions, all these big words. But if you have your notes out tonight, sin means one thing, and it means to miss the mark sin means to miss the mark and at its core this biblical definition of sin is so important to understand because what it teaches us and what it points out is two things number 1 is that we have a target to hit we have a goal we're trying to hit and trying to achieve and number 2 is that since we know that there is a target to hit we now have the freedom to choose whether we hit that target or not. Think of it this way, right? If we want to throw some imagery on there, sin can be associated with the sport or the activity of archery. I don't know if you guys ever seen archery. I've seen it once in the Olympics or twice whenever you watch the Olympics. But within archery, there are a couple terms that I know of. I really only know two, and it relates to this message. Number one is when you hit the middle dot in the archery, it's called a bullseye thank you bullseye when you hit the target it's called a bullseye however if you miss the target you have a spotter with you and they're going to tell you either whether you hit that bullseye or you miss it however you miss that bullseye what they're going to say is you sin right so so to add some imagery to that concept it is just to miss the mark we're missing the target now you might be wondering what is that target that we are missing The target that we're, not not missing, we're trying to hit. The target that we are trying to hit is God's standard for humanity. God's standard for humans, his law, his word, his truth that bring him glory. And unlike me back in the day as a fraternity guy who didn't have no understanding of what sin was, I just thought only a few of us sin. However, newsflash, sin is 100%. We all sin and we all have sin. It says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul writes that and he reminds us that, hey, it's not just one of you. It's not just a few of you. It's all of us. We all sin and we fall short of the glory of God. And if God's glory is a target that we are trying to hit, there is no difference whether we miss that target by a little or by a lot. There's no difference whether we hit We missed that target by a little or by a lot. We just missed, period, right? Another analogy. We're going to use a couple analogies tonight. I really like that. Um, Like I said, me and my wife, Carolyn, we got to go to Malaysia. We got to go to Bali. A part of that is you fly, long flights, right? And for me, I've flown across the country before, so it's like I really enjoy it. However, it's Carolyn's first time going overseas overseas. And for me, I was really excited for her to experience that whole long 15-hour flight. You know, we survived. And the part of this part that I didn't really tell her was I was proud because it was like kind of like we just got married. So like this is like my big first husband thing. I get to lead her across the world, make sure we don't do anything wrong, don't get killed. But I remember being so afraid of not being killed, but I was so afraid of missing our flight. I grew up with... A mom who used to roll up to the airport four hours early before our flight time and I'm like well I wonder why I'm always scared of that now we did not miss however if you've ever missed your flight or you have a flight time you need a board and you miss it by the minute or an hour it doesn't matter they're not letting you on that flight them plane TSA agents do not play around if you miss your flight you're done Right? So in that same way, whenever we miss the target that is God's standard, we sin, unfortunately. That is part of the human condition. And and sin has a couple effects, right? And I think we could categorize it in three big things sin does. This number one, sin dominates. So sin doesn't just walk into your life at all, chipper and say, Hey, I would like to be your friend. You know, sin comes in your lives and wants to take every single part of your life and control it, put you under control. Number two, sin devastates, it destroys. Sin comes in and tries to wreck not only your own life and your walk with God, but it tries to wreck the lives of others around you. It tries to hurt those around you. And the last part that sin does is that it separates. For those of us who maybe did not grow at church at one point point, this is your first time, Sin is the one thing that separated man from God. At one point, man and God lived in harmony. However, we see in Genesis 3, through the fall of sin of Adam and Eve, we were separated, right? And so sin does these three things. And I think the last thing we can truly see from sin through our own individual lives, or even in scripture is this, is that it points out so clearly the human condition that we all go through. Part of being human is being broken. Whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, we all here have our own sin struggles. Some are external. Some are internal. But it does point out that we are broken, and it does point out that we are in need of a Savior, right? And that's why the cross is such a beautiful thing. The cross is good news to us. The cross is something we still talk about, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Imagine that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came, died for our sins, and yet we're still here in Springfield, Missouri on a Tuesday in the summer talking about Jesus. Man, this is wind is, let Give me a sec, guys. And what the cross does and what the gospel does for us is it flips the script on our lives. It gives us a new perspective. It changes our eternities. It frees us from the bondage of sin. It gives us new identities, right? We were at one point sinners. However, now we get the chance to be saints. God, by dying on the cross for us in Jesus, paid the price for our sins. And now we have a difference of at one point being sin to now having sin. There's a huge difference. Christ gives us a new outlook on what being human is. He gives us a new perspective of what being human is. And that's why it's so important for us to make sure that our response to sin is according to what he calls us to do. So how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to respond to sin? And that's going to bring us to today's passage. So if you have your phones, which I know everyone here does, just like sin, 100%. Y'all got phones, iPhones, Androids, I don't care. If you have the Bible app, we have the notes, we have the verses on there, because obviously I don't got a big screen behind me this time. Um, and we're going to be in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, for, you, for those of you who are super holy and brought your Bibles, that's in the back of the Bible, um, close to Revelation, right before 1, 2 John and 3 John. Um, but before we start, I want to give you a little bit of background information about the book of 1 John. It was written by the disciple John. He was the same disciple who wrote the Gospel of John, and he's the same disciple that writes the book 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation at the island of Patmos. And the audience that John was writing to were believers. Okay? He was writing to believers who were under persecution at the time from false teachers. These believers were witnessing their people fall away from the faith. They were witnessing disunity within the body. And John wanted to write these books to encourage them. We're not going to go all over that today. Um, The false teaching is called Gnosticism. I recommend you go read read up about it. It's very interesting, um, and it's just good to know. So we see this overarching theme of the book of 1 John, that he fights against false teaching, because what's at stake is it's messing with the identity and authority of the gospel, okay? It's also disunifying the church body at the time, and it is also putting at stake the souls of the readers. And that's the overarching view of the books of 1 John. Now we're going to dive into today's passage. we will be 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be going through verses 5 to 10. Verses 5 to 10. And so in verses 5 it says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus. Now I'll declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So, we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but gone living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, after John gives the prologue to his letter from verses one through four, the overview of why he wrote 1 John, he describes this message that he's trying to tell the reader at the time. He's trying to encourage them that the apostles heard from Christ himself. What is that message? The message is that God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him at all. That God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. And when we look at that sometime, we're like, yeah, this sounds super spiritual. Of course, God is light. He's good. All these things. However, this is not just some spiritual lingo. This thing carries some weight to it, because the, thing of the, the re- reality of the matter is this, is that if you're trying to draw closer to God, if you want to have a deeper walk with God, we need to have an understanding that he is light. We need to understand that God is light because the function of light is this. Light has one function in our world. And the job that light has is to reveal things as they are. Okay, Light has one job, it reveals things as they are. It exposes all the dark areas of life. I think back of when we were in, in Asia, um, the one thing from moving from Malaysia to Missouri that was really different is the nightlife. So part of the nightlife here, there is, man, when you think of nightlife here, you get 8 p.m., 9 p.m., everything's closed, Right? Y'all can't even get, like, a good burger past 10 o'clock. You got to go to McDonald's, get you a McDouble, and then you get a large fry, and then you get a soda, and then you're like, ah. But in Malaysia, the nightlife goes on, goes on until 1, 2 in the morning. It's not like they're wilding out, right, guys? They are just chilling. We call it yam cha in Malaysia, and it's a Cantonese word for just saying, let's go drink some tea. So most of the times, if you go to some coffee shop in Malaysia, you just see a bunch of people, our age, actually, just hanging. And you also see really old people just there hanging. Um, part of that nightlife is we walk we walk a lot in Malaysia, and with that, we go through alleys. If you've ever been to an alleyway, it's really dark. However, with alleyways in Malaysia, with the nightlife so, um, so strong there, we have alleyways with light. And what that light does is it exposes the darkness in those alleyways. Sometimes you see roaches. Sometimes you see rats. Now, it's a third-world country, so I'm not claiming it's the cleanest in the world. You want that? Go to Singapore. Good place to be. It's beautiful. The airport has a literal giant waterfall. Um, I'm losing track. All that to say, to experience the closeness with God, to know God, we need to be willing to allow His light to expose our own sinful thoughts, actions, and speech that might be inconsistent with His character. And my question to you guys, I want you to think through this when we're talking about this sermon, is what is that for you? What what is that thing that you are trying to hide from the light? What is that thing you're not willing to let the Lord know? What is that thing you're not willing to give up yet? Okay, Whether it's external or internal. Verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. John continues Talking, and he says this, he just calls it that it is. If we deny the sin in our lives, we're only lying to ourselves. We're not helping anybody else. We're not, like, really affecting anybody else in that degree. You're just shooting yourself in the foot. And we know that we all sin. It says that if you read all the books of Romans 3, you have so much verbiage of, no, not one is good. For all have sinned. No one is good. Here's the thing, because even on our best days, we still fall short of God's standard. And to deny sin is to deny the finished work on the cross, it is to deny what Jesus did. That's why responding to sin, according to what scripture says we should do, is so important. So how should we respond to sin? If you're taking notes, we're going to point one. The first way we respond to sin is we need to acknowledge it. We need to acknowledge that we have sinned, because humanity's greatest problem It's not death, it's not pain, it's not poverty, it's not the political climate we are in. The greatest problem for humanity that we're dealing is sin. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to be aware of that. And for us to deal with any problem in life, we need to know that there is one in the first place. And we need to get to a place of humility to acknowledge there is a problem. right? A lot of times we live in a culture where we love to look at the symptoms of our struggles instead of the source. Well, instead of what we should be doing is looking straight to the source and seeing if that source can fix the symptoms, right? I think of a doctor. If a doctor has a cancer patient, he's not just going to wait for the cancer patient to get sick. He's going straight to the source, whether it's a cancer cell or a tumor. The doctor knows what's at stake at this patient's life, and they're aware and of acknowledging the source. In that same way, we need to be aware of our sins, we need to be honest, because in reality, our hearts are deceptive. The Bible says your hearts are deceptive. And we all have been there, right? You've done something wrong, and you're like, it's not that bad. No one saw me. However, the reality is, is it's sin. It doesn't matter if we miss it by a little or by a lot. And we see in Ephesians 5, 11 through 14, Paul continues to write, Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. There's another emphasis. We need to bring out and hash out the sins in our life, whatever that is. I think of it this way. If you're an alcoholic, you're not going to cure your addiction in the abyss, in the darkness. For that to happen, you need to go and get help. Okay. So once we acknowledge the sin in our life, the next thing we do is we confess it. We confess our sin. and We see it in verse 9 it says, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. John continues by giving us the second truth on how to respond to sin. That's to confess it. To confess sin means to say the same as. So if you're writing your notes, confessing sin equals to mean to say the same as. What that means is that when we confess our sins, we are willing to say and believe the same thing God says about our sins. We're willing to say and believe the same thing God says about our sins. And we need to acknowledge it. We need to because what happens is the devil will use this and try to put guilt. He'll try to get shame. And next thing you know, if you are just drifting and drifting and drifting, you fall back into sin. And the problem with this and confessing sin, acknowledging sin is hard. Confessing sin is harder because we have to really humble ourselves. We have to get to a point of, wow, I need help. And no one likes that because it takes humility. And we live in a society that says, I got this. We live in a society that says, I don't need anybody, right? So it's something that we need to do. And it's hard to get to the point where you get to even reflect that. That's an emotional, emotional um, pain on your life, you could say. And I think for me, sin varies, Okay? But the one thing that I've learned through, through marriage is that a sin that I struggle with is anger. It comes in so many different forms. A lot of my life, for those that know me, I grew up a little bit more aggressive. But once I got saved, I got this like, really chill mentality. And it's not like I'm putting something front. It's just who I am. But with, after having a relationship with God... My whole outlook on life changed. However, there are still so many things that I did not look at and try to really dive into until this time. Unfortunately, we get in arguments, me and my wife. However, my wife is super gracious, and I just love her. Shout out. (laughs) She's pretty great, right? And all that to say, we need to be bold, and we need to be humble, and we need to get to a point where, like, I need help. Whether it's counseling, whether it's therapy, whether it's going to community, and seeking that help. I think of this analogy, uh, not analogy, this story in the Bible talks in Luke 18. It talks about this Pharisee and this tax collector. Luke 18, verses 11 to 13, if you want to look at it later. But the short form of this story is there's a tax collector and a Pharisee who is a religious person, like one of the religious elites within the scriptures, and they go to a temple. And the Pharisee prays, and he prays a prayer of, Kind of just self-hyping, right? You're just hyping yourself up. He prays his prayer of, God, thank you for everything you've done. I am not like these other people. I am not a sinner. I'm not a bad person. I'm this or that. I give all I have. And then it says the tax collector is really far back from the Pharisee, and the tax collector wouldn't even look up. He he. But what the tax collector did was this: he beat his chest and say, Oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. The tax collector got to that point of humility where he needed help. And I think that story, so simple, is something that I need to strive for. And I know that we need to strive for because it requires humility. So, so we talk about confessing sin, but how do we confess it? How do we go about it? Well, number one, you can do it really in two ways, I think. You can have personal confession. Go to God, confess your sins, Number two, we see it in James 5, verse 16. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. James here is a half-brother of Jesus. He gives us this answer. He said, we go to each other. We find community. That's why Dylan's uh, sermon of community the last time we were at Young Adults was so important. That's why we talk about these things. What happens is when you go to community and you find people you trust, you can have those hard conversations that you're too afraid to in the big group settings. And it's so important to be vulnerable because the devil wants to use our pride against us. He wants to use that to destroy our relationship with God. When we confess sins and when we pray for each other, it frees us. It frees us from that heavy burden that we feel of unresolved sin and allows the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. I will say, use your discernment. God gave us discernment for a reason, so don't just go up to someone that you don't know from Adam or Eve and just confess all your sins. Find people that you trust in your community and go and have those hard conversations. So to respond to sin, we need to acknowledge it, and then we need to confess it. However, of the three points we have, I'd say this last point is the most important point, point. and if this point doesn't work, I think, The other first two starts falling apart. And this last passage reveals it in verse 10. It says, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our heart. John brings us to this last point. And the thing here is we see a repeat. He says it again, if we claim we have not sinned. In verse 8, he also said, if we claim we have not sinned. However, in verse 9, we see Him saying that if we claim we have not sinned, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So isn't it kind of weird that he would say that again, right? It's like he's trying to remind them: hey, if you've confessed your sins, there needs to be something else, not just confession. And then that brings us to our last and most important point. So how do we respond to sin? The last point is we need to repent of sin. We need to repent of sin because you can. You can't have confession of sin without acknowledgement of sin, right? You, can, you need to acknowledge your sin, you need to see it, then you need to agree with it. However, this last part, if you don't repent of your sins, the other two start getting shaky. It's a, they, say, they call it 18 inches. The most important 18 inches of the human body are from your head to your heart. It's if you mean it or not, okay? And, and if you... Do not know what the definition of repentance is. Repentance is actually a Roman military term, and we see they use in the times of war. If we were going to war right now, let me just pick somebody here. If uh, Me and Elijah Tester, he's a big dude. If we're going to war right now, and Elijah was beating my guys in war, and I don't yell repent, we're going to get killed. Repent essentially tells my men, To turn 180 it's essentially a make a u-turn to repent is to turn around and turn away in that same way we view that with sin if we don't repent of our sin we might be doing fine in the war for a bit we might be able to fight it off for a bit we might be able to hide it in the shadows because humans are good at that we're good at hiding right we do that we see that all the way in genesis 3 however the only problem with that is you try to fight with sin eventually you're gonna get overwhelmed i'm sure everyone here has felt that at some point in their lives so we need to repent, turn around of our sins. It is by far the most important part because we can acknowledge sin, we can have it, but that doesn't always mean we want to turn from it. Now, I'm sure we've all been there, right? We, we know the sin that we struggle with. We acknowledge it. We agree with it. We see it in the same way God it, sees it, but we can't let go of it. We're too afraid. Or sometimes we acknowledge our sin, we confess our sin only for the sake of making us feel better. You guys ever witnessed that? You're just trying to do the right thing. It's, it's, the, it's the Christ thing. It's the church thing to do. It's to say, yeah, I'm wrong, but to not really mean it. It's just to lie to yourself. And these are the moments the devil will use. He will try to use this drifting of perspective on sin. He'll try to make it so weak that you're like, it's not that big of a deal until it is. We need to have the right perspective on sin and the right response to sin. In a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, he says this, "...the Christian no longer loves sin. It is the object of his sternest horror. He no longer regards it as a mere trifle, plays with it or talks of it with unconcern. He looks upon it as a deadly serpent whose very shadow is to be avoided." He would no more venture voluntarily to put its cup to his lips than a man would drink poison who had once almost lost his life through it. Sin is dejected in the Christian's heart, though it is not ejected. Sin may enter the heart and fight for dominion, but it cannot sit upon the throne. Sin will try to sit on the throne however it can. Sin will try to sneak its way on the throne if it can and I think of this, a prayer that I pray every day on my drive. We live in Branson right now, so I got long drives back and, t- back and fro about every day. I uh, recommend it if you can. It's a beautiful drive. But a part of that is a prayer that God would search my heart. And I think it's something that, that is really beneficial. Maybe it can encourage you. I pray this prayer every day. Lord, would you search my heart? And if anything is sin on the throne of my heart, would you destroy it? It's such like a harsh prayer sometimes to think about because deep down, there's something we want as humans, even if we can't admit it or even if we think we've had it in control. We all want something, and, and the devil will use that. He'll try to tempt us and try to put sin in our lives and try to put it on a throne, on a pedestal, but there's nothing and nobody that can sit on the throne of our lives. We need to have the right perspective of sin and a right response to sin. We need to be deep in the word, deep in community, okay? And I think of it like this, another analogy. Who here drinks tea? Anybody? A couple, y'all all coffee drinkers, cool. <laughs> tea, tea bags, right? So with tea bags, some people drink their tea like this. They got the old tea bag and then they just dip it in and out. In and out, expecting something to change, right? And sometimes we viewed our Christian lives like that. We think, man, if we confess in once in a while, it's cool. And then if we go to church sometime, it's cool. If we do the right thing, it's cool. But the problem is, we expect a change. And then you have the other side of that of people who just steep their tea like normal people, as you should. And throughout time, who knew? The flavor of the tea will get in the water. In that same way, it's so dumb. Our, relationships with, our relationship with God need to be like that. We can't just be in and out of the world. We see in scripture all the time. You can't serve two gods. You can't serve money and God. What happens is a human condition, we are prone to sin. So if we're taking in and out and in and out without community, without acknowledgement, without response, without repentance, what's going to happen is so we're just going to fall back into sin. Right? We can say we want to be accountable. We can say we want people to keep us accountable. You can only be as accountable as you want to be kept. That was the whole word. So my question is, what are you guys facing this season? We're in the summer. Summer young adults in the awesome time. I mean, it's beautiful out. You guys are all here. We got root beer, not root beer floats, Dr. Pepper floats, Fanta floats. You just can't beat it, right? However, we all have a struggle, And I think we need to bring that to the Lord now better than later. And there's no better community to do that than here at High Street Young Adults. And I think the last thing I want to leave us with is this. If if that is you, the leaders here, we want to talk to you, or if you want to get plugged into a community group, because I understand what it's like sometimes to come to church and not know anybody, or come to church and know somebody, but you feel like you're kind of alone. There's not that trust that's built yet. There's not that relationship that's built yet. So if you need a community group, go to Next Steps. We can try and get you plugged in, and we can have those hard conversations. And the last thing is this. Is in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, because here's the thing. Part of the human condition is struggling, right? The Part of the human condition is struggling, and we will fall short. We absolutely will. We've probably all fallen short here today. I drove a little bit faster than I should this morning. Um, But there's a beauty, and this points back to the cross and points back to what Jesus does, and he says this, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. That's the hope. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Here Jesus reminds us, probably the most important thing is, hey, acknowledge it, confess it, repent of it. However you fall short, stand back up and have confidence because Christ has died for you. Now, it doesn't mean you continue to sin, but it means you can continue to fight against sin. Right? He reminds us that we have an advocate in Christ, that in that same way that word advocate, we can use it in, in the court of law. Uh, it's like we have a defense attorney, and Jesus is that defense attorney, and he's choosing to pay off the payment for our sins. So if we could all bow our heads here, pray for us, and then we'll get on with the rest of the young adults. Lords, thank you for today. God, just thank you for this group of people here. Um, God, the part of the human condition. Is the struggle with sin, and that is in itself a hard thing to sometimes come face to face with. But God, I just pray for the people in here who, who might have a relationship with you, that you would help with that. And for those who don't know you, before we could respond to sin, we need to understand what sin is and that you came to die for us, God. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.